Look, it's so good to be with you. Uh, this is my second time being with you um, in person. Uh, of course, it's always said, isn't it, you, you speak everywhere twice, once on the way up and once on the way down. So it's really good to be back um, with you this morning. Uh, it's actually my third time speaking with you. I, I join you by a vid- via video uh, during lockdown. Well, it wasn't quite lockdown. Our church went into lockdown because COVID slowly made its way around our staff team. Uh, So I couldn't be with you, but I I shared my pretty face on on the large screen for you. Well, when Jim and I did meet a few weeks back for um, coffee, Jim had been telling me something about what he was planning to share. And those of you who were here last weekend would have heard the double act of Jim and Kev, a brilliant double act. I listened back to it, and I've got to say it was really good, and I found it really challenging. The drawing together of the spiritual, the theological, with the practical, with the financial. And if you were here last weekend, you'll know that uh, they were speaking on the theme of giving. And I didn't see a single person leave the auditorium uh, as I watched it online. I think that's quite amazing uh, when you speak on giving. Now, they were speaking quite generally about giving, but more specifically, they were speaking on the theme of generosity, which is a byproduct, of course, of all that Claire was speaking about the week before last as she was speaking about sacrificial living. Now, I got really excited uh, a couple of weeks back because my favorite day of the year came around. It's the 1st of November, my favorite day of the year every year. Not because it's All Saints Day, you know, the day that follows after uh, Halloween, uh, but because it was my favorite day of the year, which is Word of the Year Day. It's the year when the Collins Dictionary share the word, which is a word that normally defines and categorizes the word that we've just been through. I love words. I get very excited about words. Well, as you might have heard in the news, the word of the day year was reported in the news like it's never been reported before because of the word that they coined. And the word was the word permacrisis. Permacrisis, the Collins Dictionary word of the year. Well, I wonder if you know that the word permacrisis is a portmanteau. Anyone know that? Yeah, the English teachers amongst you now are like, oh, this is so exciting. He's talking about portmanteaus at church. And the maths teachers are like, oh, how dull. He's talking about words. Maybe I'll get excited if you include some letters and we can make it about algebra. But a portmanteau is a blending together of two or more words expressing some combination of the meaning of its parts. Did you get that? A portmanteau. Permanent and crisis blended together makes a permacrisis. Now, one of my sad ambitions in life that people at Christchurch know to be true is that I long to be the inventor of a word that makes its way into the Collins Dictionary. I love to be included in that dictionary. So I spend a lot of time making up words when I preach. I do that for two reasons. One is that the making up of words can be really powerful. The other is it really annoys uh, annoys our BSL deaf signer because she has so much trouble trying to sign the words that I make up. So especially for Waypoint Church this morning, I've crafted a new word. You've seen the word already on your screen. It's the word generositude. The fusing together of the word generosity and attitude and somewhere in the blending of those two you get generositude. Now, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to get accused of plagiarism this morning, so I thought I'd quickly Google the word just to double-check that it didn't already exist. Do you know what I discovered? A very annoying man, a man called uh, Doug Grady, who's a life coach in the USA, has already coined this word. I can't tell you how frustrated I was. I hate Google. Cursed be the person who thought my original thought before me. 
So it looks like the word generosity is not going to make it into the Collins Dictionary on account of me, but maybe it will. Because if you're an American, you'll know you don't know how to use the letter U. So in his version of the word, there's no U somewhere in the middle. So I made sure I added the U, which gives me a chance of getting into the English version of the Collins Dictionary. Portmanteaus, the fusing together of two words. Our word for this morning, gener- generosity. Now, I think this is a brilliant word for us this morning, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, because it perfectly captures all that Claire was speaking about two weeks ago. It captures perfectly that sense that we should have an attitude in life, and it should be a generous attitude. It should be an attitude where we live sacrificially. Jim and Kev last weekend in their little little double team spoke about financial generosity But in all that I want to say this morning, I'm really challenging us to a lifestyle of generosity, to be generous with everything that God has blessed us with. Now, in our scripture reading this morning, we hear this incredible story about God's provision as he partners with his chosen people to continue the work of building a worshipping and a witnessing community in the days of Moses. That was God's heart then, that we would be a worshipping and a witnessing community, and it's still his heart for us today. Now, the story is captured in the the chapters of Exodus, chapter 35 and 36. Now, this is a text that was written thousands of years before the coming of Jesus. And yet, I think this morning, if we can understand this uh, text correctly, there's something very profound and challenging that we can learn from it today. At the point we join the story, Moses is charged with leading the people of God, and his specific leadership task in this precise moment is to lead God's people away from all the false gods that they'd been starting to worship. They were surrounded by pagan neighbors, and they'd slipped into the kind of worship that God said they shouldn't slip into. Now, we need to understand this task for Moses was incredibly difficult. It would be like turning a cargo ship in the Suez Canal. But somehow, with the strength that God gives, Moses makes better than expected progress in the task he's called to. Now, a quick bit of context for us this morning, because that's really important. Back in Exodus chapter 34, God makes this amazing statement to Moses. And the statement he makes is the most quoted verse of Scripture, in Scripture, by Scripture. The most quoted verse of Scripture, in Scripture, by Scripture. And if you read through your Bible, you'll find these verses scattered throughout the Old and the New Testament, all over the place. Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7, the Lord is gracious and he is compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and in faithfulness, maintaining love to a thousand generations, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Isn't that true? Isn't that just a great description of the God who we've come to know and love? And in response to hearing that, Moses gets his face right down on the floor. He bows to the floor in verse 8, and he says, If I found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, isn't that brilliant? A stiff-necked people. What an understatement as well. I would add stiff-necked, hard-hearted, cold-headed. Forgive our wickedness, forgive our sins, take us as your inheritance. Moses cries out to God. And in response, God makes this uh, amazing, unbreakable covenant promise which reveals his abundant grace. 
And then Moses writes down the words of the promise in the form of the Ten Commandments. And when he comes down from Mount Sinai with the tablets tucked underneath his arms, his face is radiant. He's got this Holy Spirit ready breath glow about his face. And it was obvious to everyone who saw him that Moses had just been in the presence of God. So as we join the story in Exodus 35 today, we see the response of a leader and of a people who have been the beneficiaries of overwhelming, undeserved, and lavish grace. Have you ever been a recipient of that kind of grace? A lavish grace, a grace that we don't deserve, a grace that continues to overflow and seems to have no end. You see, when we're the recipients of such grace, how should we respond? Well, we find out in our scripture reading this morning. So if you've got a Bible, do turn to, with me to Exodus chapter 35. If you don't, haven't, don't worry. Uh, you can just listen in. I'm going to read from verse 4. It says this, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold and of silver and of bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, Yep, goat hair, ramskins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and oink stones, if that's how you say it, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded." So what was God calling his people to do in this precise moment of their walk with him? Well, quite simply, they were to build a massive tent. Now, the posh term for what they were being called to build was the tabernacle. But actually, when you strip it all back to basics, when you strip away all of the religious jargon, what you're left with is a huge tent with various sections and different pieces of furniture in each of the zones. But hey, this was no ordinary tent. This was an M&S tent. This was not a little tent. Now, I don't know about you, that sounds pretty disappointing to me as a mission, as a vision for for God's people. Would you go off and would you build a tent? But actually what you discover is this is the climax in the book of Exodus. Why was it so important? Well, Exodus chapter 25 verse 8 tells us, God says, let them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell amongst them. Did you hear that? Make a sanctuary and I will dwell amongst you. So here in this moment, God's people are building like a national worship center where the God of the universe, the creator of our world, would be right in the middle of their community. God was going to be in their midst. This tent was the means by which in this moment in history, God would be God Emmanuel, God with his people. So here we have God's people who've not only been rescued from slavery, but too, they've been rescued for a purpose, and God is at the center of it all. And that's the same God we worship today, the God who has rescued us from slavery, the God who has rescued us from our sin, and he's called us for a purpose. Now, we're told in Exodus 25, verse 8, that they've been been saved to experience a life with God. The amazing promise is that this God had saved them so that he could live with them. He wasn't going to be a far away God. He wasn't going to be some distant observer in a far off galaxy, but he was going to be a God who was up close and a God who was personal. God was going to dwell with them. It's amazing. This is intense stuff. 
Come on, guys, did you get my tent joke? I'm just trying to canvas some support for my jokes. Anyway, we'll, we'll move on. One person like that, I'm guessing it was Trevor. Now, of course, we know, don't we, living this side of the cross as we do, that the God of the universe can never, ever be contained in a tent, certainly not a tent which is made by human hands. But at this moment in history, God is doing something very, very tangible amongst his people. We have a nomadic people living in tents, and so by choosing to build this tabernacle, God is saying to his people in the most tangible way he knew how, I'm going to move into your community. I'm going to do that in a clear way, and I'm going to do it in a culturally significant way. He's saying to them, look, guys, I want to live in close proximity with the people that I save. I plan to be at the very center of all that you are about, and that is still God's mission today. He delights in being close to the people who he saves. That's the good news. The message hasn't changed even today, albeit God doesn't dwell in a tent anymore. He dwells in the hearts and in the lives of those who love his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that just the most amazing statement that the God of the universe lives in my heart because I've trusted Jesus? But he doesn't only live in my heart, he lives in yours as well if you've come to know and love Christ as Lord and Savior. God Emmanuel at a whole another level is what we get to experience. Light of the world, you step down into darkness all for love's sake, for my sake, you became poor. Now, what I love about our Bible story this morning is that God takes the initiative here to invite his people to join in with the mission and the ministry that he's so passionate about. That's why they're invited to build this tabernacle. Now, God could have done all this without them. He doesn't need them, but he chooses to partner with a stiff-necked people. There's hope for me. Maybe there's hope for you. Now, this wasn't just a building for a building's sake. It was a physical resource that God was going to use. Wasn't it encouraging last weekend to hear Jim's reminder that the church is not the building, the church is not the bricks and mortar, but it's the people who are the church. But at the same time, God can use bricks and mortar like this building for his mission and his ministry purposes. I'm really praying for you guys as you embark on being a warm spaces church. I believe God is going to use this initiative in a really powerful way. Now, I know what you're thinking at this moment in time. Jim has put Chris up to subtly speaking about giving just to reinforce everything that he said last weekend. Why hasn't he mentioned money yet? Well, there's a reason for that, which we're about to discover. You see, at the end of the day, none of this, in fact, none of what Jim said last weekend with Kev is really about money. It's all about a heart condition, which is why it goes back to to all that we heard from Claire the week before. And that's what we discover in Exodus 35 and 36. God is concerned about our hearts. Generous giving is more than a number. That was the quote of last weekend. If you heard nothing else, hear that quote. Generous giving is about more than a number. Generous living doesn't begin with your wallet or with any other resource that God might have blessed you with. It begins with our hearts. In verse 5 of Exodus 35, Moses says something very significant. He says this, As we build the tabernacle together, do so from what you have do so from what you already have. 
In other words, God is making this invitation. Please, would you partner with me in the mission and the ministry I'm so passionate about? And as you do it together, I invite you to use the resources that I've already given for that very purpose. Open-handed people are open-hearted followers of Jesus. God is saying to his people then, and I believe he would challenge us today, would you be open-handed and not tight-fisted with the resources that God has given to you? Now, as we heard in our, our text, the list of what people had in the days of Moses was really quite astonishing. Did you hear it? Gold and silver, bronze, fine linens, leather, wood, precious oils. They weren't in short supply of talents either and skills, which we discover in the text. Now, I wonder if you're thinking what I'm thinking at this point. Where on earth did they get all this stuff from? I thought they'd been in slavery. Did they just stumble across this stuff as they were going around with their metal detectors in the desert? Well, the answer is further back in Exodus. Chapter 12, verses 35 to 36, when God very first appears to Moses in the burning bush. It says this, The Israelites did as Moses instructed, and they asked the Egyptians... These people who didn't worship God for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people and they gave them. They gave them what they asked for. Isn't this brilliant? God knew what was needed in the future to fulfill his mission plan. So he made sure in the here and now that when the time came, the people had every single resource and talent that they needed in their pockets or around their necks or nowadays we might say in our bank accounts or in our stocks and shares. But two, they had some gifts and some skills that they could bring to the party. God's resources were already in their possession. They had everything they needed to respond generously to the call that God was making on their lives. The question is this, would they be willing to let go of that that God had blessed them with, or would they be tight-fisted with those resources? Would they be open-handed with the talents and the skills that God had given them, or would they be tight-fisted with those things? The problem is not that God is too stingy with what he gives. The problem often is that our arms are not long enough to reach to the depths of our pockets to pull those things out and to release them. Now, here's the really, really challenging bit from the text. What we discover as we read on is that it wasn't just in the ones and the twos that they responded, but we read the whole community responded to the call of God that came through Moses. Their hands were open together, the text says. Well, how do we know that? Because there's a repeated refrain that keeps coming in Exodus 35, verse 20. Everyone who was willing and whose heart was moved brought an offering. Verse 22, all who were willing, men and women alike, brought jewelry of all kinds. Verse 26, this is a verse for the women. All the women who were willing spun goat hair, the text says. Are you a goat hair spinner? Well, of course, in this modern world, it applies to the men as well. If you've got goat hair, then spin it for the glory of God. Verse 29, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought free will offering. Do you know what we learn from this? God loves togetherness. We can do more with togetherness than we can do with a partners. God's people are eager Now, there are a couple of things that particularly strike me from these verses. First, everyone had the opportunity to give as they were able. 
No one, not one person was excluded because of the size of their wallets. They were eager. If they had money, they gave money. If they had gold, they gave gold. If they could spin goat hair, they spun goat hair. If they had cattle, then they gave ramskins. If they had specific talents, then they generously shared those talents and skills with, uh, with, um, with, for this mission plan and purpose. But secondly, the thing I notice is this, is they weren't giving because Moses had manipulated them or coerced them, but because God's vision had gripped their hearts. Yes, Moses cast this grand vision. The people responded to that vision, but they only responded because they were convinced this vision had come from God. And so they gave from the resources, the skills and the talents that they had already been given. And thirdly and most significantly, I noticed this. They only gave if they were willing. They only gave if they were willing. There was nothing half-hearted about their giving here. They were eager to give. And that's why this message really isn't about money. It's really about our heart attitude before God. Without their willing hearts, there was no tabernacle. Without the tabernacle, God in this moment in time would not dwell amongst them. We should let our love lead us in our giving. It's about being willing-hearted And if our giving is not willing-hearted, if the use of our talents is not willing-hearted, then it's not required. I really did just say that. I'm really sorry, Kev. If our giving is not willing-hearted and open-handed, then it's not required. Now, Jim reminded us last weekend that the Apostle Paul said something very similar in, in his day. It was our scripture reading last weekend. Each of you should give what you've decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? For God lives, uh, loves, literally translated, a cheerful, a hilarious giver. God loves an hilarious giver. The message translation of these verses is brilliant. Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and against arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. Isn't that a great line? God loves it when the giver delights in the giving, both of our financial resources, but too of the talents and skills that God has given to us. And that's exactly what's happening here in Exodus 35. The people here think this whole thing is hilarious. <laughs> I delight in the joy of giving is kind of the response that they're giving here. They're so eager to give. They're so willing, they're so moved that no one has to have their arm twisted by Moses or the leadership team. Did you notice in the text that Moses doesn't give one of those big, long sermons just before the offertory bag goes around? Have you ever been to churches that do that? Oh, I have. Not so long ago, I was at a church where the speaker had given the best part of about a 25-minute sermon before the offering bag went round, and he said to everyone, would you grab your credit card, would you hold it high above your head, be ready to give, be ready to give as the machines come round, lift it higher. And then at some point, he must have seen somebody's arm starting to drop, and he said, don't you dare, don't you dare put your credit card back in your pocket. God's people are personally and they're passionately stirred by the vision from God and they're stirred to partner with God in his mission. And then and only then do they release the resources that God has already given to them. 
No coercion, no manipulation, just hearts that are willing and eager. God's call goes out to the wealthy, absolutely. But God's call also goes out to everybody else in that community, and the people respond as their hearts move. The quantity of their giving mattered less than the quality of their giving. The quantity of their giving mattered less than the quality of their giving. Remember the story of the widow's might. Jesus doesn't criticize the quantity of her giving, but he heartily commends the quality of that giving. That applies to our financial resources, but it applies to everything else, our talents and our skills. You don't have to be rich to be generous with your finances and with your talents. But listen to what happens next in the story, and with this I draw towards a close. It's absolutely brilliant. Verse 36, uh, chapter 36, verse 3. They received from Moses all the offerings that the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing, and they said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for the work of the Lord, uh, the, the, work, the, the work the Lord commanded uh, to be done. They brought loads. Then Moses gave an, uh, an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make uh, anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because they'd already been given, because, I'll try really hard to read well today, because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Verse 5, the people were bringing more than enough to do all the work that the God, uh, the Lord had commanded And the people had to be restrained from bringing stuff forward. Isn't that just the most staggering statement you've ever heard? What a brilliant, mind-blowing situation. The people are so eager, they're so moved, they're so hilarious that Moses has to order the stopping of giving. Enough, more than enough, he says. They were restrained. I picture Moses kind of holding people back at the door, stopping people from coming in. This is generosity, isn't it, happening in practice. And, you know, I've seen this kind of thing happen in the local church. You remember back at the beginning of the year when Putin started this awful war? We invited our church and we invited our community to give. And we had to say, please stop. We can't cope with what you're giving. Generosity happening in practice. Their love of God was leading them in their giving. I've got three more slides, but I'm not going to go to them. I simply want to lead us with a challenge this morning. It's this. What is it that God has already given to you that you can use in his mission and his ministry? What is it that God has already given to you where he's saying to you this morning, would you please just be open-handed Would you let go of the thing that I've given to you? That might be money. That might be some kind of resource. It might be your home used for hospitality. It might be that you're really gifted at putting up Christmas decorations. Would you come and use that on Tuesday? It might be that you're one of those people who's just got the most welcoming smile. Would you use that smile for the glory of God? It might be today that God has given to you a a talent or a skill that can be used for his kingdom plans and purposes. In fact, it's not that it might be. It's that God has given a skill and a talent that can be used for his glory. 
He promises it in his word. Nobody doesn't have a gift that they can use in the service of God. Here's the challenge. Tight-fisted. God, why should I release this to you? Or open-handed. God, what I have, I have because you gave it to me. And today I'm going to let go of it. Generosity. What a ridiculous word, but this time next year it's going to be in the Collins Dictionary. (laughs) An attitude of generosity. God needed it in his people then back in Exodus and he needs it still today. I wonder, will you join him? Let's be still together as Jim comes to join us. We're going to sing a song uh, in just a moment. Lord, thank you this morning for the challenge of your word. Lord, thank you that you get so excited, so excited about the quality of our giving. Lord, we're sorry. We're so sorry when we make that about the quantity. Lord, thank you for this amazing story captured in scripture that's inspiring for us today. The God of the universe who comes to dwell amongst his people in the most tangible way possible. And Lord, next weekend as we enter into the season of Advent, we remember that you're God, Emmanuel, God with us. God who has moved into our neighborhood in the most tangible way possible so we couldn't possibly miss you. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you came, born as a baby, grew up into a man, that you lived the perfect life, but Lord, too, you died the perfect death so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that a penalty could be paid. Lord, we're going to remember that in a moment. But Lord, too, thank you that you didn't stay dead. Thank you that you triumphed over the grave in the most generous act that humanity has ever experienced. We worship you. We thank you. Thank you that you rose again, and therefore we have a confident hope. You're a generous God. Lord, stir our hearts this morning as we remind ourselves that we are here to worship. We're here to worship the God of the universe who stepped into darkness so that we can be free. We worship you this morning with open hands and with open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.